Well, a word about two things today. Uh, you've already uh, heard about the next weekend special worship time. It's 4th of July weekend. 4th of July is on a Saturday, so we're going to celebrate that on a Sunday morning. Uh, we, we're going to take all of our services. We have seven, actually, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday afternoon. Uh, we're going to combine them all into two services, 9.30 and 11, two different times. Same worship, choir, orchestra, a DFW, a brass is going to be part of that service to celebrate. So pick one of those times and join us. Also join all the other people who join. Right now we have three worship services happening at 11 o'clock. You do not know that at the same time. We'll all be together. So we're excited about that as well as the great uh, thanksgiving we have to God for all, he, all the blessings we have uh, in this country. So be aware of that. We also have coming up in September a conference called the Good and Beautiful God Conference. This is a huge undertaking for our church and a significant moment for the First Methodist family. The book here is centered around, it's called The Good and Beautiful God by James Bryan Smith. Uh, this is a very classic book on faith. And he is going to, the author is going to be here with his team to lead us on a Friday night and a Saturday in a conference, a very significant event again. Uh, I want to read a little bit from the book to kind of give a direction for what the, why we're doing this. Here's how it begins. Would you like to have abiding peace? Would you like to have a heart that is filled with God's love? Would you like to have the kind of faith that sees everything, even your failures and losses in light of God's governance for good? Would you like to have the kind of hope that endures even in discouraging circumstances? That's how it begins. We want you to have that. And so you can sign up any time for the conference. It's $15 a piece, I believe. Small cost really is going to cost us a lot more than that to make this happen. We're hoping for at least 1,000 in attendance, if not everyone in our church. You can sign up online, sign up here, sign up in the days to come. But we'll, you're going to get sick of me talking about it, reminding you about it coming between now and September. But it's a September the 11th and 12th. Good and Beautiful God Conference. If you've not heard about it, you now have. Hope you'll join us for that very special time in this. We're also in the last week of a series, the last six weeks on uh, beginning our summer, on unlikely heroes in the Bible. Talking about Moses and, and David, Ruth and Esther. Today we're talking about Nehemiah, one of my most, one of my very favorite Old Testament heroes. An amazing man, what he did, who he was and what he's about. We're going to learn from him in the biblical teaching, but I want to begin by telling a story for talk more about Nehemiah. As a young Christian, I prayed many times for God to lead my life. Where does he want me to go? What does he want me to do? I was a brand new Christian really many ways, only been a Christian for several years, about to get out of Bible college. I had a new wife, two babies, and I prayed again, and the many choices and directions of my life could go what God's direction was for it. And a song that I sang to myself often sometimes verbalized in words and times of prayer, was this. Jesus, use me, and oh, Lord, don't refuse me, for surely there's a work that I can do. And even though it's humble, Lord, help my will to crumble, and though the cost be great, I'll work for you. And I sang that song to myself, usually alone, not like just now with you hearing. Uh, in times of prayer, God where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And, and I got the call to be a pastor of a very small church in Central Texas. I had preached one sermon at that time. I'd never served communion, never done a wedding. It was all very new to me. 
So I walk into the church with open eyes and ears. What do I do now? And I discovered something very early on I needed to do. That little church had candles on the altar like we have here. But through the week, though, there was no uh, heat. There was no air conditioning on that summer to save money. So it got very, very hot. And it had these kind of candles where there was a spring inside, little candle inside. As it burned up, it would push the candle up, which in that heat did not work. And so the candles wouldn't burn on Sunday. A crisis. Now, it was all new to me, that kind of crisis, but I learned it was a crisis. You have to have candles to have church. And so I thought, what am I going to do? I can't make these things work, and it's my job now. It wasn't a week before, but now it is. So I got a book out and ordered candles in the mail. I was going to put a whole big candle there that you couldn't go wrong with. And so they came in the mail. I've solved the problem, put the candles in place. And when I got them in place, they were ready for Sunday. But through the night, it got very, very hot. When I came in for church, the candles had become a U. They had melted, they had melted and got soft and went right to the altar top. And you couldn't use them again. So what am I going to do? You know, I finally ordered another kind of candle that doesn't melt in the heat. Finally made it work. It became my problem. And here's what I'm trying to say to you today. I learned to care about something that I'd never cared about before. So please put that concept today, around the, the, the prophet Nehemiah, into your head. I learned to care about something I'd never cared about before. Nehemiah was, uh, lived in Persia. In all aspects, he was a Persian, but inside he was a Jew. And he was the cupbearer to the king Xerxes, a big-time, high-level, high-respect, high-income, great-life kind of job there in that land. Uh, he served the king his food, took care of his household, he made sure his enemies didn't come and poison him. A big deal back in those days. That was his job and what he did. High trust, high respect, living in the court of the king. And yet he finds himself with two things. that he become, One thing he becomes aware of, then what he does in response to it. He becomes aware Jerusalem, which he had probably never been to, never seen, knew little about, he'd only heard about, was in great disrepair. The people living there, the Jews living there, were living in poverty, desperate circumstances. The wall around Jerusalem had been destroyed many years before, and so there's no such thing as a city without a wall. It had become just rubble. The temple had been destroyed, and he hears about this. When he hears about it, he begins to pray, and he calls upon God. And what happens is he learns to care about something that he'd never cared about before. Now think about our life as Christians. If you're not a Christian, I, I pray for service is over, you make Christ your Lord. It's a great life and a wonderful way to live. And God's gift of salvation is free. But as Christians, we have this sense of where is God leading us? And here we have the title of my message today, which is, A Hero Weeps. Nehemiah 1.4, or one, first verse of chapter 1, when I heard these things, I sat down 
and I wept. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. He looked beyond the courts of the king where his life had been lived. How he had been defined. How he knew his role and his identity. And it was going to change when he saw and heard the story of Jerusalem, Judea, the temple, the wall, and his people. And, and he wept in this season. I'm going to say he might have been better off if he had not heard the story. He might have been better off if he never knew that that was happening in Jerusalem. If he just wasn't aware of it, he could blissfully go on and live his life in the leisure and luxury and respect that he had experienced. But he listened. He heard the things. He looked into his world. He became aware of things he did not know before, and it called for some kind of response. It's not natural for us to do that. We want to live in the world we've created for ourselves. It's safe, secure, nice, and okay, and not go beyond that. That's our nature to do that. It's not natural to go beyond that to someone else's world and to reach into that as he was going to do here in a very short time. Had a neighbor, uh, and we got along very, very well, uh, but this neighbor really liked his yard. I mean, his yard was, a, no, no, I like my yard too, you like your yard, but he really liked his yard. And he had an issue occasionally with me because there was a line between his house and mine where his mower was supposed to go and my mower was supposed to go, and they weren't supposed to interact with each other at all. Like, don't go one inch into my yard. If you want to mow my whole, your whole yard, come right ahead. There's no issue with that. But he did not want me messing with his yard. And one day I came home, and he'd been upset about somehow I guess we'd got in his yard uh, six inches or three inches in the mowing down that line. And so he had found some, some metal stakes about this tall, little red flags on the top, and he'd stuck them in the ground in between the two houses to make sure that we did not mow any of his yard. We could practice it and to do it properly so we could learn. You know, and I began thinking about that for a while. Okay, I'll, whatever, whatever you got to do. But, you know, is, is life more, is there more, can our, does our life become that small that that becomes so significant? That our life becomes so small that that becomes so significant? that we can't see what really does matter, where God might really take us, where God might help us really see and experience and know. You know, and that's where God leads us and calls us. We accept God. He leads us. Where do we go? What happens next? Where do we find ourselves? Again, I think it might have been easier if simply for Nehemiah, ignorance was bliss. I don't know anything about Jerusalem. Are the walls, are the temple, are my people, are there situations? I just don't know, so let's go serve the king his cup, then go sit down. He couldn't do that because he became aware of something beyond him that was more significant in his life, and God led him there. Well, secondly, in response to the first, to the first one, what makes you cry? What makes us cry? My, my neighbor cried over his yard, I guess. I don't know why, but he did. What makes you cry? 
You know, there are a lot of lines in movies that, that have been used to create tears for people. A lot of stories that happen in movies that often create uh, tears for people. Uh, one famous line is, you may or may not have heard it, it says, you complete me. You know, a, a, a man with kind of a hard heart finally tells the girl in the movie, you complete me, and she finally gets it, he gets it, and the tears ensue, and I'm sure all the, the date, movie, all date folks there or, or people there were, were happy to, to shed a tear or so. We cry sometimes when the underdog wins. We don't know why we root for underdogs, but we do. We want the, we want the person who's, unless it's our team, we want the, the, the big good team to lose to the underdog. It brings a tear. The hero dies in the end, or someone told me at, at, at 815, the dog dies in the end. Either one makes us cry, the dog or the hero. Uh, the guy gets the girl. Uh, one line, some here will recognize, some won't, depending on your age. Love is never having to say you're sorry. All the teenage girls in my high school cried. Love, and that movie that came about in the love story, love is never having to say you're sorry. The national anthem causes some people to shed a tear or so, depending on the season. Chopping onions makes everybody cry. If you get close enough, your favorite team loses the Super Bowl. It's amazing to see grown men sitting on the side there after a football game or a basketball game, and they're just boohooing in public because their team lost. And they didn't get the trophy or whatever it is you're going to win. You know, I don't know what it is, but there's tears there. Or people forget your birthday and you cry. Or they remember your birthday and you cry. <laughs> Either way. Nehemiah cried when he realized how desperate Jerusalem had become, how far his people had fallen, how sinful that they had been, and how great the need was. It caused him to cry. He explored his reality in the world he lived in. He confessed, he repented, he committed, and then he is going to begin to build. What a great journey he's going to make. Think about where you and I are in that same situation. Well, that's the second point. The third thing is, when was the last time you explored the brokenness in your world? Last time you looked beyond that place we like to live that's secure, okay, fine, seems to be all right, and look beyond that. When do you do that? Took a youth group on a ski trip one time. Rhonda was there with me on that trip, my wife Rhonda. And, and uh, ski trips have their good points and bad points. It's fun to ski, cool air, sunshine, whizzing down the mountain. There are also exhausting parts. Skiing is exhausting. Getting there, boots, carrying, carrying your skis up and down the mountain, high altitude, uh, chairless, all that's exhausting. If you've not been, I'm just going to tell you, ski trips are exhausting. By the second or third day, you're pretty much thinking, I want this to end. I want to rest. In that particular ski trip, we were staying in a lodge. So to go back and forth, you had to take a shuttle bus. Then of one very long day, I'm heading back to the lodge, and I go to get in line waiting for the bus. And there's probably 50 people in that line. The buses get full and you wait for the next bus. The bus gets full, you wait for the next bus till it's your turn. And I'm in line, and several college guys cut in line in front of me as the bus is driving up. There are several thoughts I have in mind uh, as this happens. Uh, first, I had already, hear the words now, staked out my position. This is my position. We're the next to get on the bus. Thinking about myself, and also those who've also waited with me. It's not just me, it's them too. We've all 
We've all made the sacrifices already to be in this place, to be where we are, to be next in line. You haven't. And I've also know something else is it. My head is next thing is that, that there's nothing on my ski apparel that says I'm a pastor <laughs> or a preacher or even a Christian. It doesn't say anywhere on me those things. So I can say what I'm thinking. Get to the back of the line. I'm next. I'm not sure exactly how I said it, but it was adequate. They went to the back of the line. And I was able to get on the bus with the others who we had staked out our position to be able to get there first. You know, that's how we think. Not just that, that's how we think. That's how we often define our world. It's so interesting that the way Jesus was with his followers, that, it, that in that day and time, if you were a rabbi as Jesus was, you were highly respected. It was, a, it was an honorable position and a high place in that very religious Jewish world that Jesus was in. And you got the best place to sit at the best table in whatever place you were at. And Jesus did not take that place. He gave it to others. Think about how Jesus was. The Pharisees were angry at that. They didn't like that at all because that lessened them that he lessened himself that made them less because he made himself less as they understood it. They expected to sit at the head table themselves. And at the dinners with Jesus, that's not how it worked. They didn't like that either. Two of his followers, James and John, their mother and they in conclusion, wanted to, be, wanted to sit with Jesus. And when the kingdom comes, we want to sit on your right hand and your left hand. And he says, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. You've got to drink the cup that I'm going to drink. And then he said things like, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. He just messed the whole thing up. He wrecked it all. He, he changed everything in these words. We'll do anything. Human nature wants to protect our position. The divine nature is to sacrifice that position for other people. You see, brokenness is directly connected with that empathy that understands that, understanding others, following Christ, and, and living that way. I'll say it again. Human nature is to protect our position. The divine nature is to sacrifice that position for others. When Nehemiah saw the brokenness of Jerusalem, he was willing to give up his position, his rank, his privilege to lead a team into the devastation of Jerusalem, a place he'd never been, a place he'd never thought of before, a place when he arrived he began to explore and sacrifice and build. What an amazing story. Well, the next word, like the first, when was the last time you prayed, really prayed? The best way to avoid being a, a biblical-style hero is just not to pray. If Nehemiah had not prayed that day, he would have died a cupbearer in the palace of the king with the, one of the highest positions in the culture that you could have. He would have died there. He had never found his way to Jerusalem. I thought about a couple uh, here uh, a few weeks ago that I would not thought about in a long, long time, another church at the time for me. Uh, and I, I, talk, I, I thought about them because at annual conference this year, which is a meeting of all the Methodist churches in our area together for a few days, 
there's a memorial service, and all the members of every church that passed away that year is in a booklet that we pray about and talk about and, and mark their lives in memory there at that memorial service. And so I saw all the names in this church here. Uh, there were so many uh, people here that we've known and loved and cared about who have gone on to heaven, and their names were there. I went back and looked at some past churches that I'd served in my younger days and, and, and found one. And, and I saw a few names there. I didn't recognize most of them, but there was one I remember. I remember this guy. We were about the same age, by the way. I remember him. And I remember them this way because they would come to church, he and his wife. Uh, both their names started with M. I won't say their name, but they both started with M. And when they would come to church, uh, it was almost always for the same reason. They were in trouble. Something bad was going on. They were in great need. And she would almost always ask prayer, come up at the end of the service, Pastor Mike or Mike, or Brother Mike, would you pray for this need? I've got this going on in my life. And uh, she would bring that prayer in those rare times they were having trouble. And here's what happened. If God answered the prayer and the problem was solved, they didn't come again for months. So the next problem happened. If God did not, not answer the prayer, what good was it going anyway? They didn't come back either. So if God answered the prayer, they didn't come to church. If God didn't answer the prayer, they didn't come to church. And so it's kind of, if you, can you tie the hands of God in a way they, they did that? And that's how they lived. And I've since called that the M&M principle. The M&M principle. You know, that's, that's how they lived. Now, now here, here leads to this. The prayers we pray during good seasons change our lives far more than the prayers we pray in the bad seasons. We just don't pray that seriously in the good seasons. When it's bad, we know how to do that. Lord, help me here. Lord, I got this. I need that. Help me, Lord Jesus. We know how to do that. But, but to say the same kind of prayer when things are going well, not so easy. To say when life is well, our position is protected, things are going like we want, everything's all good, we're getting ready to serve that cup to the king in our fine clothing and good food in a nice palace. It's hard for us to change and say, Jesus, use me, but oh Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do, even though it's humble, Lord, help my will to crumble. And though the cost be great, I'll work for you. We just, it's easier not to pray that prayer. Easier not to spend that time, not to go that place, not to hear those stories, not to see those needs. It's easier to simply to live in ignorance. And maybe it somehow is bliss for us, not where God calls us. Nehemiah simply prayed. He became aware of the need. He prayed and he wept. And he found himself changing his court clothes for traveling clothes, his silver and gold cups for hammers and chisels, his fine food for hard bread and dried fish, and the palace for dirty, broken down, run down, damaged, devastated city we call Jerusalem. And the wall began to be built. Was it going to be easy? He's going to have a great deal of opposition. He'd have many reasons to stop and say no more. But he continued till the wall was finished, and they have a great celebration of what God had done through these men and women who rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. And the last point today is simply a question. Where might God send you if you were completely available? If you weren't so 
we weren't so, if we weren't so naturally inclined to protect our position that we have earned, our work toward, our found, or got, or received, or have, which is human nature. And we're going to live by the divine nature, what that might take us, who that might carry us to do, how we might change how we think and believe and do, and how the world might be changed because of that. So Jesus, use me. Oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. And even though it's humble, help my will to come crumble. And though the cost be great, Lord, I will work for you. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for all you give us in life. We know that, that Nehemiah was grateful for his position. Where he'd found himself, what he had, who he was, you'd blessed him, God. As you've blessed so many of us. So we celebrate, God, the position we have, the place we have in life, the gifts you've given us, the grace and salvation you've touched our hearts with, the, the call you've given us. So we're grateful, God. We also pray beyond that. In a season for many of us where it's okay and, and it's good, we, we pray, Lord, and, we, and, we, we, pray and we, we pray and we think about the world we live in. And where might you call us into that world? in our family, in our neighborhood, in this church we serve together in and through, in the world beyond. God, help us see things we've never seen before. Help us, Lord, think about things we've never thought about before. Help us go places we've never been before by your call upon our lives, celebrating all you've given us and our prayer of faith prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.